Well, take your Bible this morning and turn with me, if you will, to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. I don't know about you, but Christmas for me is a season of anticipation. And I think it has been so since my very earliest memories. Uh, what was Christmas like for you when you were 8 or 10 or 12? Uh, Christmas for me was just about waiting. Uh, we didn't watch a lot of television when I was young, and consequently, I didn't always know what the newest and the coolest toys were. Uh, but on Thanksgiving Day, uh, my grandmother, uh, who worked at Sears and Roebuck, uh, would give to myself and my sister uh, each our very own Sears Christmas catalog. Do you remember that? It was about an inch and a half thick. In my mind, it was about six inches thick. And I would sit down and she would sit down and we each had a pen in our hand and, and we would go through that catalog. That was Thanksgiving all day long. There were hundreds of toys that I didn't know about and that I desperately needed uh, that were in that catalog. And I would circle every toy that I wanted. And at the end of the day, I would turn it in to my mother like it was an assignment. And then my sister and I would wait for Christmas. It seemed like forever uh, to see what of those circled toys uh, would find its way uh, under the tree. I remember Christmas morning, we would get up very early uh, before the sun came up, long before the sun came up, and we would run into the living room, find out what our gifts were going to be that, that Christmas. Christmas was all about anticipation. You know, my mother did something, and I, I think I've probably shared this with you before, but it's, I've got a great mom, but this was just cruel. You know, sometimes moms, and I know some of you do this, because I've heard you say it, uh, she would put this calendar on the refrigerator in December uh, that counted down the days from December 1st to Christmas. And every day there was a little piece of candy or something that you would take off to commemorate the new day, and it would count it down. You know, 20, 19, 18. And I think that just made Christmas take six years longer to, to, to arrive. And every day I'd stand in front of the refrigerator and I'd look at that calendar and I'd think 13 more days I will not survive. Christmas was all about anticipation. And, and even today, uh, I, it's not about toys or, or, or presents anymore, but I just can't wait uh, to Christmas Christmas morning. Well, that idea of Christmas and anticipation is not a new thing. In fact, the very first Christmas was all about anticipation. The very first Christmas, that was really the watchword, what they were anticipating. You see, the Jewish people had uh, found themselves in a very difficult place and a, a difficult time. They used to be a proud nation. They were a sovereign nation. They worshiped the Lord freely. But because of their disobedience, God had withdrawn his hand to, to a degree. And, and now much of what they enjoyed was lost. And now they were really a captive people. Uh, the Romans ruled over the Jews. Uh, they could worship, but not freely. Uh, many times, and you see this in the Gospels, they would have to go and ask permission uh, to do some of the things that uh, they wanted to do. It, it, their worship, even the temple and the functions of the temple, all of that was very tentative under the rule and the reign of the Romans. And the Romans sometimes were very oppressive in how they dealt with the Jews. 
for 400 years. In the midst of this most difficult period in the life of, of, of Israel, for 400 years, God had been silent. Uh, there had been no prophecy. There had been no, no word from heaven. Uh, there had been no uh, miraculous intervention. There had been no reminder of God's love. For 400 years, it seemed like nothing. It was just silent. And they were waiting on the promised Messiah. You see, they knew the prophecies of old. They knew the promises of God, that God was going to send a savior, that God was going to send someone who would rescue his people. And they waited for that with great anticipation. Uh, the favorite verses of, of the people of that day would have been those prophetic verses that looked forward to that one day, that eventual coming of the Messiah. And they would have, they would have memorized these verses. They would, have, they would have spoken them and taught them to their children. Verses like Micah 5.2, which says, Bethlehem, you are small among the clans of Judah, but one will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. And while they may not have fully understood all of the theology in that verse, they would have claimed to that verse, to use our language today, and they were anticipating that God would step back into history and that God would send the Messiah. Uh, another favorite verse of theirs would have been Isaiah 9, 6 and, and following where the Bible says, for you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders, you will break the oppressor's rod. That's what they wanted. They felt oppressed. They were oppressed by the Romans. And the verse goes on to say, for a child is born to you, a son is given to you. The government will rest upon his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. They were anticipating the Messiah. It was all about anticipation. And that very first Christmas, God satisfied their anticipation by sending Jesus. By God being incarnated, by God coming in the flesh, and Jesus being born. And that was the fulfillment of all their anticipation. And that's why we sing songs like, Oh Holy Night. Don't you love that song? Oh Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. So for a long time, the world has just waited in sin. And, and we have pined, we have longed for, we have anticipated that God would step forward. And the verse goes on, the song goes on to say, Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. And finally, this anticipation was satisfied in the first Christmas with the coming of Christ. The song goes on to say, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Finally, there's hope in Christ. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. You see, the first Christmas was all about the satisfaction of that anticipation that God would send his Messiah. But you know, now we live some 2,000 years later, and while Jesus has come and there is uh, a way for forgiveness and a way to have a right relationship with God, uh, there, the problems of the world 
and the problems that we face and the sin that sometimes it seems we're enslaved to, that hasn't gone away, right? Jesus has come. Certainly that prophecy has been fulfilled. Certainly Jesus has made a way for us to be forgiven and for us to be saved and adopted into the family of God. But still we face sin and heartbreak and heartache and struggle and suffering. Still in this world, there's something that's missing. Jesus has come, but all problems haven't been solved. There's still difficulty and pain. There's still something to be done. I shared with our prayer group that meets here at 7 o'clock on Sunday morning. By the way, if you want to come and just pray for our worship service, 7 o'clock every every Sunday morning we come and do that. And I, I look forward to that every week. And this week I shared with them that I... I got an email over the weekend, uh, somebody who's here, I don't know if it's in this service or the second service, but I got an email from somebody and I won't tell you who or, or give you the details of the email, but I just want to give you the gist of it. Uh, this person, I, and I read the email this morning, in fact, I read it several times, it was a heartbreaking email to read. This person was just sharing with, uh, with the pastor the problems uh, that this person was facing and, and, and they were... There were many problems. There were, there were financial problems, um, dire financial problems. And this person needs medication that can't be uh, purchased. The individual just doesn't have the means. There, uh, there are problems, financial problems. They're in the home. There are things that need to be done. And, 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 and there are just not enough resources to cover. And then the person talked about health issues. There's some very serious health issues this person is going through. And... And these health issues may portend even worse health issues to come. Uh, and then there, there were relationship issues. Uh, this person is in just a very difficult relationship situation. And uh, some of the details were shared, and it's, it's heartbreaking and difficult. And this person is just living in darkness. And as, you know, as, as a pastor, I, I read that, and I want to offer some help and as, as I read through the, the details of the long email, I, I wanted to give some advice. I thought, well, I'll, you know, I'll step in. Maybe I can help this person. But, but, but the frustrating thing is there was really no advice I had to give. You know, I read about the financial difficulties. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, I don't have any advice for this person financially. I, I don't know where this person can get the money or solve the financial difficulties. I have no idea. I don't, I have no advice about that. We, the medical stuff, uh, I, don't, I don't know what all that means. I, I, don't, I don't know how serious that is. I don't know what the next steps ought to be. I, I have no advice about, about the medical steps. And even the relationship, uh, this person seems to have done everything this person could have done. And, 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 and I know when you read something like that, you just read part of the story, but uh, it's just a dark time. I, I have no, no advice. And, and so my heart, I mean, literally, my heart was broken when I read the email. I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. But then I thought about Christmas, and I thought about this message. It's amazing how the timing of the Lord works out. There is one thing that can be said uh, to that person, and, 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 and something that can be said to all of us, because while you may not be going through the storm that that person is going through, we're all going through somewhat of a storm, right? I mean, maybe it's not the perfect storm where it's relationships and finances and health and everything is collapsing at once, 
Uh, but, but you can point to something in your life. You can point to loneliness or you can point to pain or you can point to grief or you can point to fear or you can point to money problems, relationship problems, health problems. And so some of those things are unsolvable. I mean, really in the short term, it's not like you just need some key piece of information and, and you know, the pastor can just say, hey, do ABC and it's solved or somebody else could give you. No, sometimes there's just no... There's no path out of that. What what does God have to say for us in those times? That, church, here's the Christmas message. So the Christmas, the first Christmas was about the satisfaction of their anticipation that God would send Jesus. Now Christmas, now Christmas is about how we look forward to the day that God will send him again. See, we live in an in-between time. We, we, we have been forgiven if we've put our trust in Christ. No question about it. No more forgiveness needed. We have peace and hope in, 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 in our eternal salvation. But we still live in sin and we still live in difficulty and we still run out of money and our bodies still get sick and relationships still fall apart and we still have broken hearts. All of those things still happen, but we look forward See, Christmas is about looking back to seeing how the first anticipation was satisfied. But Christmas is also about looking forward to when Jesus comes again. See, he came once to provide forgiveness. He comes in, he comes again to reign and provide fullness of joy and fullness of peace. To to provide the power so that there's no more sickness and no more grief. We look back, but Christmas is also about anticipating what is still to come. What is still to come. I want you to see this in Philippians chapter 3. That may seem like an unlikely place to turn for a Christmas passage, uh, but this is it. This is, this is the point of Christmas today. Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to read a number of verses, but let's start in 18. He says, For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Well, let's stop there a moment. Talks about enemies of the cross. They're certainly enemies of Christ and enemies of Christianity and enemies uh, that, that, that stand against us as we live for Christ. And some of those enemies are external and some of those enemies are internal as we struggle with sin and, and temptation. When it says uh, their, their end is destruction, uh, that, uh, that their God is their stomach. What does that mean? Well, that means that it's very easy for us to be uh, under the control of our desires and our lusts, that we're just led down this path. Uh, their glory is the shame. The things that we often glory in, that the world glories in, the things that it is so proud of will one day testify against us. But the most important part of verse 19, it's the last, the last few words. They are focused on earthly things. That describes the world that we live in today. And you know, in many ways, it describes all of us, right? In some way, we are focused on this world and the things of this world. But let's continue, let's continue to read verse, verse 20. 
But, so he's going to shift gears here. So he says, this world, we're focused right now, presently, we're focused on this world. But in the future, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So while we're in this world, we anticipate, that's what he says in verse 20, we anticipate this new world. We anticipate heaven. We anticipate living face to face with Jesus Christ. We know that we live in a difficult world, but we anticipate a new world. He talks about this new home. What does he mean by home? Well, home is a place where you're comfortable. Home is a place where you're accepted. Home is the place where you long to be. He talks about in verse 20 that our citizenship is there. Now, if you travel outside the United States, you have a passport. And that passport tells people in another country that your home is in America. And, and while you enjoy the places you visit, if you're, if you're traveling for vacation, you long to come back home. What he says is that we have a home. Our citizenship is not here, but our citizenship is in heaven. We're strangers and aliens here. And so our anticipation should be for heaven. We don't need to get so comfortable here. We don't need to get so established here. Our anticipation, what we ought to be looking forward to, like an eight-year-old kid who's counting down the days to Christmas, we ought to be looking forward to spending eternity with God in, in heaven. Heaven ought to shape our goals and our decisions. It, it ought to give us strength and resolve. It ought to give us hope. Ultimately, our hope is not in, 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 in chemotherapy or radiation or a, a, an emergency loan from the bank. Ultimately, our hope is not in, in, our, in our kids following us or our marriage being strong. Ultimately, our hope is not in our bank account or our retirement or our position or our good health. Ultimately, our hope ought to be, ought to be in heaven. See, Christmas is not just about looking back at how that first anticipation was satisfied. But Christmas is about anticipating when we shall see Christ again. That ought to be what motivates us. You know, one of the very favorite Christmas songs uh, for me and, and maybe for you is the song Joy to the World. It's a choir sings sometimes Joy to the World. Do you like that song? That is a wonderful Christmas song but not for any of the reasons you might think. Do you know what that song says? Have you ever noticed that there's no manger in that song? There's no little baby in the song. Mary's not in the song. Joseph is not in the song. The shepherds are not in the song. The angels are not in the song. The wise men are not in the song. The inn is not in the song. How could it even be a Christmas song? Well, it's a Christmas song because the author knew that Christmas is not just about celebrating Christ's first coming, but Christmas is about anticipating when we will see him again. Let me just read the words to you. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Now we read that and we think, well, that's, that's a line about Christmas. That's a line about the incarnation, Jesus, a babe in the manger. But that is not what that line is about. Listen to the second line. Let earth receive her king. Did Jesus come as a king? No, Jesus came as a little baby. 
Jesus will come as a king the next time he comes. He didn't come as a king the first time, but listen, he is going to come as the king. The third line says, let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. The second stanza, joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. It says that the whole world is worshiping the Savior. Now, it's not happening today. That's not talking about, this song is not about something that happened 2,000 years ago. It's looking forward to something that will happen still. The third stanza. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns invest, infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. See, this song, it is a Christmas song, and we ought to sing it at Christmas. Pardon me. <laughs> but not because it looks back, but because it looks forward, forward. Let us be Christmas Christians. Let us be those who celebrate that Jesus has come and anticipate that Jesus is coming again. Why don't we do that? Have you ever wondered, why do we get so bogged down in this world, in this time, with these problems? Why is it so hard to be Christmas Christians and to look backwards and look forward with the same, with the same passion for the day we will see Christ face to face again. Well, I want to share with you just a couple of reasons why I think that is the case. And I, I think, and we're going to continue to read here in, in Philippians chapter three, uh, but a couple, of, a couple of reasons, two reasons why I think we struggle uh, to more eagerly anticipate heaven. Now, before I get here, let, let me just say this in case I don't want there to be any confusion. Uh, as a Christian, there's still two possible ways I could see Jesus face to face, right? Uh, Jesus may return very soon and we may see him because he comes to get us. Wouldn't that be great? Or you may pass away before that happens. And if you're a child of God, you'll see Christ face to face then. Uh, so I'm really talking about, when I, when I talk about anticipating seeing Jesus, I'm really talking about two things. Because we'll travel different paths perhaps on this. Some of us perhaps will see Christ face to face because our life here comes to an end. Some of us will first see Christ face to face because he comes back for us. Either way, we are to, as a Christmas Christian, look back at his first coming and anticipate when we shall see him face to face. So why don't we do that? Two reasons. Number one... We have an anemic view of heaven. I'm afraid that for most of us, me included, we struggle to have an accurate view of what heaven will be like, what it will be like uh, to stand uh, and to live uh, with Christ our Savior. I, I think if we were to just ask you to close your eyes and imagine heaven, uh, most people would imagine a uh, climate-controlled room with white walls, white carpet, bright lights, uh, white plastic folding chairs, white robes, and everybody's holding a white harp, and we're singing 734 verses of 
just as I am or something like that. And, and see, there's a problem with that. And you probably will run me out of here when I say this, but uh, that just doesn't sound like somewhere I want to go. Is that bad to say that? But I mean, that's just, that's just, it's only bad because I'm more honest than you right now. <laughs> when I think about just sitting there in this big white room and uh, I don't know, that just doesn't, uh, that doesn't thrill me. I think that's one of the reasons why we hold on so tightly to life. Uh, now, now, none of us should be cavalier about life, live all the days that God gives you, but sometimes we are so bent on stretching out life just, just a little bit more, just squeezing as much as we can out of life. And, and, and I think one of the reasons is because is we're just not very excited about going to heaven. Now, we, we prefer that to the alternative. There's no question to that. I mean, I don't, I don't want to go to hell. I'd rather sit in the white room for all eternity uh, in a white robe than, than go to the alternative. But we just don't get very excited about it. Now, here's the problem. Nowhere in the Bible is heaven described like that. I don't know if we got that off some Hallmark movie or, 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 or what, but that's not a biblical description of heaven. Now, let's continue to read. We're in Philippians chapter 3. And we read verse 19, verse 20. Let's look at verse 21. It says, he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Talks about how we will have an eternal body, a healthy body, a glorious body. Um, you should know, pardon me. You should know that heaven is is the perfect fulfillment of every desire, of every passion that you have ever known. It'll just be, it'll just be satisfied. Your passion, your desire will just be satisfied. Here's the difference in heaven and here. It will be satisfied in the context of the glory of God. Whatever it is that you want to do. Are, 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 you, are you an adventure seeker? In heaven, you will seek adventure for the glory of God. Do you like to learn and to study and to discover new things? In heaven, you will learn and study and discover new things for the glory of God. Do you like to serve people, to cook for people, to be a blessing to people? Well, in heaven, you'll serve and cook and, and be a blessing to people for the glory of God. Do you like to sing? Do you like to make music? Do you, do, do you like to do those things? Well, in heaven, you will for the glory of God. Do, whatever it is, do you like to build things? Do you like to organize things? And, and, and we'll, we'll take some time, perhaps one one. One Sunday, or we'll take several Sundays and, and, and show you these specific details in the book of Revelation, but all of the passions that you have, all of the desires, those things have come from God, and God is not going to leave them unsatisfied. All of those things will be satisfied for the glory of God in heaven. You know, some people, some people just, just love, to, love, to, love to learn. I am I'm looking for a week in the first half of 2019, as I'm uh, uh, working on some educational goals, I'm, I'm looking to carve out a week that I can just go and spend an entire week in a library and, and study for, for something I'm writing. And, uh, and I don't know if I'll be able to find the free week, but I'm, I'm looking for it right now. I hope to settle that by the, by the end of the 
end of the year. And, and you know, one of the things I like to do, because I'm just a nerd, right? And I know that. But I can't, I'm, I'm so looking forward to this, to be able to spend 50 hours in a week just pulling books off the shelf and, and, and reading and studying, you know, a specific thing that I'm, I'm trying to, to learn and write on, but, 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 but just to, to read and to study and to discover as I go through that. Well, in, in heaven, if that's your thing, in heaven, you will do that, but every discovery will be the glory of God. You'll learn something in history. You'll learn something in science. You'll learn something in, in literature, and you will see how that declares the glory of God. You'll build something. Some of you just would love to build. You'd like, like to go out in your backyard and just build to your heart's content. Well, in heaven, perhaps you'll build to your heart's content, but every time you build, you will see in what you build the glory, the glory of God. Heaven will be the satisfaction of every desire and passion that God has given. One of the reasons why we're not excited about heaven is because we have such an anemic view of what it will be. To live uh, with, with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the place that he has prepared. But the second reason why we do not more in eagerly anticipate heaven is because our hearts are in love with this world. Uh, the Bible says that our hearts can be seduced by this world. And so we spend lives chasing after things that money can buy, the adulation of, of looking young and beautiful. Uh, we crave more accolades and success and creature comforts and Twitter followers or whatever it is that you crave. But, but listen to what the Bible says. I want to read to you three verses. They're long verses, and we won't spend though, a lot of time on them. But I just want you to hear this from 1 John chapter 2. Because I think it just describes just how, how we live too often as we fall in love with this world. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of one's possessions is not from the Father, but it is from the world. Anytime we find this strong attachment to the things of the world and longing for the things of the world, he says that's not coming from God. That is coming from the world. The world has seduced us. And then the next verse, uh, the, the world is passing away with all of its desires, uh, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. He, he, he says there is an ultimate satisfaction uh, that, that we'll only find when we see Christ face to face. I don't know if I've shared this illustration with you before, perhaps I have, but uh, imagine you go and you stay in a hotel room. Uh, and, and I know sometimes uh, around Christmas, we, we do a lot of traveling. A lot of people do traveling. You may find yourself in a hotel room here in the next few weeks. Uh, but you go and you stay in a hotel room, and uh, you, you get in late at night. And with every, uh, with, with every plan to just get some, some good sleep, because early in the morning you got to get up, get back in the car, and get back on the, on the interstate. But you lay in there in the hotel room and you, and you recognize, you know, that there's really a problem. You, you, you see, because you just brushed your, brushed your teeth in the sink, that, that, that really the, uh, the caulking around the sink, where the sink meets the, uh, the countertop, it's, it's, it's gotten old and it's come off in places. And you think, well, you know, that just doesn't, that doesn't look like it should look. It's not sealed like it should seal. 
You know, what if water goes down between the sink and the counter? That wouldn't be good. And so you, you decide, well, I, I'm, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to the hardware store and I'm going to get something. I'm going to recalk the sink. And so you go to the hardware store and you get some caulk and caulk gun because you didn't remember to put that in your suitcase. And so you come back and, and you start caulking. But you, you realize that this is, this is just, you're just really patching up the problem. Really, it's the whole countertop that has, has, you know, begun to lose its lamination and, and it just, it looks bad and, and it, it's not really what, what it ought to be. And so you think, you know, I could go back to the store and I could just buy, I could buy a new countertop or maybe better than that, I could, I could just get some tiles and they sell those little tile saws now and, 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 and I could get some, you know, some mortar and some grout or, you know, whatever you need and I could just come back. So you get all that and you come back and, you know, you're cutting all the tile and you, you fix it in and, you grout it and you know, it really looks good. It, now the walls though really need painting because you've got some stuff on the walls. So you go back to the store, you paint. And the next thing you know, your alarm goes off. It's time to get up, get in your car and go. And you hadn't even hardly laid in your bed. You've been working all night. Now it dawns on you at that point that you came to this hotel room for one reason, to get some sleep so that the next day you could do what you needed to do. And you forfeited your night doing something that really doesn't matter. You're never gonna see that hotel room again. They're not gonna give you credit on your bill, I'm sorry. You, 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 you have done something that is gonna make no impact for you. Now, that's a foolish illustration, I mean, I know, I know. But too many times we live our lives all for this world. We're recalking our lives. We're, we're, we're fixing up our lives. And, and I'm not saying just, just ignore your life, but, but we live so for this life, we forget that one day the alarm's gonna sound and out we go. And there will be a lot of regret that we live for the wrong thing. So we, one of the reasons why we don't get more excited, we don't more eagerly anticipate heaven as our hearts are just in love with this world. Um, one of the things that pastors get asked more than anything else is just the question, why? Uh, pastors, uh, I mean, you can ask, but, but, but we struggle with that because we like to be answer people, and we don't know why so many times. Uh, but people ask why, why, why is my marriage falling apart? Why, why, why do I have cancer? Why are my kids, why was there an automobile accident? Why did I lose my job? Why, 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 why? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know for me. I don't know for you, but, but let me just take a stab at it. Can I do that? And I think this will encourage some of you. I think one of the reasons why God lets such suffering in our lives, now just one reason, don't, don't come up and say, well, you know, that's not why God did this. Maybe not. But one of the reasons why God allows such suffering, I know when I go to the nursing home, that's such a difficult, theologically, that's a difficult place for me to go because you see people suffering and I don't understand the purpose of the, you know, God, why don't you just take those people home if they know you? And so, so here, here's a possible answer why. I think a biblical answer why. I think sometimes God lets us suffer relationships, illness, finances, whatever, growing older. God lets us suffer so that we will be less and less in love with this place and more and more eager to go to the next place. 
and this is a dangerous thing to say, but if, but Lord, if the only way I can live with an anticipation of my home is to suffer a little here, well, then I need to suffer because I don't want to live for the hotel room. I want to live for the true destination that God has put before me. That's what Christmas is about. We look back, but we look forward and we anticipate our home in heaven. Let me just ask you to close your eyes and bow your head for a moment. If you don't know Christ as your savior, then you don't have this assurance. Jesus says he came the first time, lived a perfect life, died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins so that you can know that you're a child of God and you're forgiven if you'll trust in Christ. And and just as Alice shared with me uh, before her baptism, uh, that, that she said she felt that God had been pursuing her for a long time. That's a great way to say that. Listen, God has been pursuing you too. Alice said, I just knew, a friend talked to her and encouraged her. She said, I just knew now is the time to respond. Oh, that's another great thing to say. For you, it's also true, now's a good time to respond. What what a difference it makes when we have that hope, that assurance of eternal life. And so when we stand and sing, I want to invite you to come and just, there'll be people standing here in the front and you just take somebody's hand and and right here say, hey, privately say, "I, I want to trust Christ. Let us help you with that. But you know, many of us, we know Christ is our savior, but let's just be honest, we're not all that excited about heaven. I mean, we like it over the alternative, but we're hanging on to every scrap of life we can get. We are so disappointed when, when we go through difficulties or every relationship is not perfect, when there's heartache. But let's let this Christmas, those heartaches and those disappointments, let's let those be gemstones in our lives to remind us of the glory of heaven that awaits. And let us be encouraged as we celebrate Christmas by anticipating eternity. Father, um, thank you. Give us, give us that eager anticipation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. Amen.